You know, I love um, hearing what Andrew and Sydney said about just jumping into serving, life groups, uh, giving, and they talked about just being all in. And as they take, and, and, and it was our words, but then it kind of just like shifted to become their words, these bold, courageous steps that they're making. Um, I mean, not just to White Oak, but, but to Jesus, right? I mean, out of obedience to Jesus Christ, they're setting themselves up um, in that way, um, in, in, in church community, uh, for their future family and for their entire lives. And it's a really beautiful thing to see that. Listen, if you've been on this shaken journey with us over the last year and in a month, all right, it's about, about 13, 14 months, I want to say thank you. Thank you for your commitment, your faithfulness, and for your generosity, because your obedience and your worship um, in your, through your giving is, is literally um, changing people's lives and families like, like the Taskies who you just heard from. And if you're newer to White Oak, uh, I, I want to tell you, I, I would love to invite you on this journey with us. And you can go and find out more about Shaken and what that's all about. You can go to shakenchurch.com, all right? And then you can see lots of stories, um, information there you'll be glad to see. Or you can stop at the Shaken Base Camp right out here in the lobby. When you walk out the doors, you're just going to look at that wall next to the coffee and you can't miss it. There's some information there as well. You know, uh, Sydney said something in there that um, I was just thinking about this week as well. And it really prior to even seeing this video. And that, that is that no matter where you are in your faith journey or where you are with White Oak, God has given every single one of us a, a deep heartfelt desire to be part of something that's purposeful and eternal. And that's just something that we're created with. And something that I feel is important is that he's also given White Oak this mandate, and that is to connect people to full life in Jesus. And I sense through people's stories and from interacting with you that we're, we're discovering what that looks like together. And it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So I want to tell you this, all right? Thank you for your generosity. If you want to give through and worship through giving today at White Oak, you can do that in a few ways, all right? We, you can give the boxes that are on the wall in the back here. You can go to thewocc.com, click give, and you can give that way as well. And I just want to thank you so much for your partnership in the mission and the things that God's doing at White Oak. So I just want to pray over that. So let's just do that now. Uh, Jesus, I thank you. Um, Truly, God, for shaking us up out of what's comfortable and toward what is obedient and good and true. Spirit, I pray that you would just give us strength. God, your strength. To step out in boldness when you tell us to, to, to go. We need you, Father, because we can't do it alone. And frankly, God, I don't want to. I thank you for Jesus who gives us purpose and hope and power. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. You know, in September of the year 490 BC, the Persian army had anchored their ships and a 15,000 man army was encamped on the plains of Marathon in Greece, ready to invade. 
the Athenian army gathered and it was totally outnumbered, but very eager to defend their homeland. They decided to attack the Persian camp and army before the Persians could, could in, finish their invasion where they would murder and pillage and enslave the, the, their, their families and their neighbors. So in what, what a brilliant uh, battle strategy is the Athenians drew the Persian army into their center and literally enveloped their infantry and killed many of them, routed them, and the Persians fled back to their ships. But that was after they lost 6,000 men. And on that, upon that victory, the, as the story goes, there was a man named Pheidippides, if you're looking for a future name for a son. I'll tell the Taskies that, all right? Pheidippides, they sent him with a message to run from Marathon 25 miles back to Athens to share of their victory. And he does, and he runs. And he bursts through, as the story tells, into the city square, into Athens, and he shouts, we fought, we won, victory, you're free. And then he collapsed and dies from exhaustion. He's sharing a gospel, a gospel. It's good news. It's good news. It was a joyful proclamation of joyful news, a joyful proclamation of good news. The gospel. That's what we're talking about over the next several weeks. Good news for everyone. It's a life changing. Listen, all right. It's not just a word that, that church people throw around. All right. It's a, it's a history making life changing event that changes your status and my status forever. That's what the word gospel means. A proclamation of a history changing event that changes your life and mine forever. And it's good news. It's good news for everyone. It's Jesus has done something for you and for me that we could not do on our own. And that's what that word means. And that's good news. And the reason that we're talking about it today and over the next several or a couple months is because you and I have to know, it's important, it's critical, that we know what the gospel is. And just as importantly, that we know what the gospel isn't. So this is what we're gonna find today as we investigate the gospel a little further. That is that Jesus is our true source of healing. Jesus is our true source of healing. I want you to turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark. All right, we're going to be there. Um, it's going to be a little bit of a lengthy passage, chapter two. If you don't have a Bible, I mean, the words will be on the screen, but we do have free Bibles for you at the hub. Um, just go out there afterwards, tell them that you'd like a Bible because we'd love to get God's word in your hand. But Mark chapter two, we're going to start in verse one and we're going to go through 12. Okay, so here we go. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So they gathered there. They, so, sorry. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. 
Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat and the paralyzed man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk, but that you may know that the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. You know, what's fascinating to me, <laughs> lots of things about that passage, is that Matthew, Mark and Luke all share that story in their gospel accounts. All, they all share the story, the same story. And it begs the question for me, like what is it that is so critical about this healing event that all three gospel writers said, well, we have to include that one. Like what is it? That, that, what does it say about the gospel that Mark will include it in the first couple chapters of his story? There's something there. And I see three things that I wanna share with you this morning. And here's the first one. The gospel gives you access. The gospel gives you access. Now listen, there was some really good news spreading around about Jesus by the time this happened. He's been traveling around now for a little bit. There's been healing. There's been people that were demon possessed that had the demons cast out. People have heard of Jesus, all right? So they're packing into this house where he is because they wanna get a glimpse. They wanna hear, they wanna see. They're packing the house. They're, they're spilling out the door into the street, okay? Just wherever they can stand, just to hear, just to get a glimpse. That's what's happening right now. And it says that Jesus is teaching the word of God to them. And then we're introduced very quickly to this one particular group of men, four of them with a, their, the fifth friend being paralyzed. So they're carrying him on a mat that they're not, they're not satisfied with, with being out on the street in the nosebleed section. They got to be, do, do something more drastic. And they do. It takes some tenacity. It takes some urge, a sense of urgency, and it takes a strong amount of faith for what these men do next. Now, this is where the first place where we're gonna trip up if you're not careful when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to understanding what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. And so we gotta pay careful attention to this scene because we don't wanna miss it, all right? In Mark chapter one, we didn't read it, but it is referenced right there at the beginning of chapter two. It says that Jesus had been in Capernaum, all right? He had been there previously teaching, healing, casting out demons. And so now he's come back. And so what you get to understand is everybody in town knew who he was and what he was capable of. 
And so clearly packed into the house that day and, and spilling out into the street, into the doorway, you know, cram, you know, clamoring for any kind of view they could get, certainly there would have been people who were sick, who had diseases, who needed healing, who needed a miracle. They had heard, they had seen when he was in town earlier, and now he's come back. This is a second chance. Let's go. Now, we are a people today. I mean, we want what we want. And we're at a culture like, and we want it now. You know, it's funny. I, I get to hear stories multiple times a week from my son who works, one of my sons, who works at Cane's. Um, anybody here like Cane's? Chicken, that's what it is. Chicken and really super buttery garlic bread, all right? And that's all they serve, maybe fries, I don't know. Anyway, he works at Cane's and, and there's nothing like working in fast food that really will just tempt to embitter your heart to humankind, all right? And so now we're trying to work with him on compassion and grace and, and all that stuff. But, um, but he's like, he just comes home always, I'm like, how, how was work? And it's always the same thing, it was awful, you know? Um, it was like midnight and there's like 30 people when the drive through, it's like, it's just chicken. And he's like, and he's so angry. He's like, and it just doesn't matter how cold it is. And it doesn't matter how late it is. And it doesn't matter. There, there could be like 50 people standing in the lobby and a group of 10 people will come in and, and they'll just wait. It's just chicken, you know? And, and, and he just gets so upset and all you want, all they want is chicken, right? They're willing to wait in line. They're willing to spill out into the parking lot because they just want their chicken. And he can't understand it. And, and frankly, neither do I. But that's besides the point. But here is the point, all right? We know what we want. And so we can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I want just some reassurance for the season of my life that I'm in right now. Could you give it to me? Like, Jesus, I just need you to give me some answers to my questions. Come on, let's go. Jesus, give me some answers. You know, Jesus, I need you to take away this really uncomfortable thing that I'm dealing with right now. Let's go. Let's have it. Like, Jesus, I need you to give me some good advice. I've got some things going on in my life right now, and I just need to flip through the Bible or, or, or a couple prayers. I just need you to give me some good advice on how to handle some of these situations. And the truth is, oftentimes when we're reading through scripture and we come across a story like this, we always try to pick out who we are in the story. And frankly, we're tempted to say, well, we're the guy in the mat, right? Like we wanna be healed, Jesus is there. Like I'm telling you, we're the crowd, okay? We're the crowd. We're, we're clamoring, we, we're, we're peering through the door, you know, we're kind of cramming in, you know, we're, we're out in the street trying to get a view, you know, sitting somebody up on your shoulders, trying to peer in, trying to see Jesus and what can he offer you? What can he do for you? What can he do for me? And verse five is kind of fascinating. Well, the whole thing is frankly, but when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, son, your sins are forgiven. You know what I see there? Is that bold faith leads you to places that curiosity can't. Like a willingness to surrender yourself like at the feet of Jesus brings you to a place that the front row seats could never do. Do you see that? 
Your sincere desire or mine to say, you know what, you know what, God, yes, I want to change something about my life. Your sincere desire to make a change in your life isn't enough. Most of us approach the gospel like this. We're very aware of the crowd, aren't we? We're very aware of what the crowd values. We're very aware of how maybe we can peer in, maybe we can listen, but maybe we can kind of hide too. We're very aware of what the crowd's doing, how the crowd is feeling, what they think is right and good and true. And some of us are very cautious about approaching Jesus. Oh, oh, don't, don't climb up on the roof, guys. Oh my gosh, don't make a mess and tear a hole in the roof. Come on. That's a mess. That's a lot of work. You can't undo it. And very, many of us approach the gospel. We approach Jesus with kind of like this business mindset of like, what's the cost benefit analysis? And then we approach him as such. But you notice that only one group of people was willing to dig a hole in the roof. Do you see that? There must have been hundreds of people that needed healing, that wanted something from Jesus, but one group was willing to dig a hole through the roof. They throw caution to the wind. Like they throw, like we're so cautious about faith, aren't we? Metaskey's hinted at that. Like they wanted to come and see you. They wanted to come see and, and, and check things out, right? It's 10 months. We're starting to serve. We're starting to, 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 to be in a life group, right? We, we feel like we've got to approach it so carefully. But man, these guys are just like, they throw caution to the wind. When you want to be cautious and take your time getting to know Jesus, th th these guys just throw it to the wind, right? These guys said, yeah, we could just stay in the crowd, but we're not just comfortable staying there. We've got, to, we, we, we've got to engage somehow in this relationship. Faith pushes you to do something uncomfortable, like bold, surrendered faith pushes you to do something that's uncomfortable, unrealistic, and honestly, sometimes really absurd when most of the crowd's looking at your response to Jesus. A lot of people will say, well, that's absurd. But man, they just dig a hole through the roof. They're all in. Bold, surrendered faith means that you're stepping into access to Jesus that nothing else can give you. You're bowing at his feet. You're putting your money, your life, your time, your reputation at his feet when you would prefer that he serve at your feet. Let's be honest. Faith gives you access. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, gives us access to our heavenly father. And I, it's, it's mysterious to me. I, I don't understand it. We'll never really understand it. But in some way, some beautiful, beautiful way that, that our faith actually initiates a movement of God. Our faith initiates a movement when we step into toward his throne and access to Jesus and something happens. But most of us, if you're not careful, if you don't understand the gospel, we'll be content to stay in the crowd. Do you see that? 
That's the first thing that I see the gospel does it here is it gives us access. Here's the second thing I see. It, it, the gospel reveals your, what you truly love. Okay, the gospel reveals what you truly love. Now you'll notice something here that's a little odd in this, in this story is that Jesus doesn't immediately do for the man the thing that you would think the guy's there to, to get. He doesn't immediately heal him, okay? He doesn't, it, it, but that's, and that brings me to this point that the gospel reveals what you truly love. Now this man approaches Jesus, well, he, his friends help him approach Jesus, right? And you know what he wants. He wants to be healed. I mean, of course, he's, he's paralyzed. We're guessing since he was born. Paralyzed, can't walk, never has. He wants to be healed as if he's saying, Jesus, I know that if you would just heal my legs, then you would fulfill my deepest desire and I would never be unhappy again. You know, uh, I was reading this um, post the other day from the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards. Sounds like a fun group to be a part of. All right. Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards, they did a study that says that one third of lottery winners in America will declare bankruptcy. And any lottery winner in America is more likely than the average American to do so. Fascinating. I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't mind given the opportunity <laughs> to be in the other two thirds, but that's okay. A third, multiple millions, some of these people. I mean, we know, and, and, you, and you, that's not surprising, right? I mean, we say, oh yeah, I mean, we think as, they, as any lottery winner would think, man, if I could just win that jackpot, and some of those numbers have been huge in the last several years, it would solve maybe not all of my problems, but let's be honest with you, money could buy me out of a lot of my problems, all right? It would solve a lot of my problems. Now, and the rest of us say, okay, come on, I, I, I'm, I'm never gonna win the lottery, right? Like most of us never will. But we still say, but if I got my deepest heart's desire, then everything would be okay. If I just got this thing, then everything would be okay. If, if my body were healed, then everything in my life would be, would be okay. God, if you would just fix my husband or change my wife, then everything would be okay. God, if you would just make my kids successful, good job, great college, great job, making lots of money, then I would be at peace. God, if you could just get me that job, put me, give me access to be in that friend group, find me a wife, find me a husband, take away this addiction, give me the pay raise, then everything would be okay. Someone once said, an author said, you know, I think when God wants to play a really cruel joke on you, he gives you your heart's deepest desire. It's interesting. If God wanted to play a really cruel joke on you, he would give you your heart's deepest desire. When you get what you want, you find you're even more unhappy. Why? 
If we got what we really wanted, would you find that you're really that much? Un- let's, let's, let's unpack that for a minute. I'll tell you why. And it's a spiritual thing. Because our deepest desires are actually not necessarily the strongest need we have. And when we don't realize the need that we have, then we'll chase after this strong desire and we'll fill it, we'll fill this desire with things that don't meet that need. And we'll keep chasing after it and we'll keep chasing after it. And every day, even if you got exactly what you wanted, there's an emptiness there. And do you know why? Because every day you got to look in the mirror and you realize a truth, a deep, subtle truth is that you are still the same person. You haven't changed. And your heart still hurts. There's still an emptiness. St. Augustine famously said once that the essence of sin is disordered love. Disordered love means that there are things in my life that aren't as important that I love more. And the things that I should love more that are very important, I sometimes love less than I ought. And so this disordered nature of my loves leaves my life disordered and unfulfilled. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel that your prioritization has left you unhappy? Have you been able to identify that it's your prioritization that's maybe left you unhappy? Let's put it this way. What you want most, like your deepest heart's desire, that's your savior. That's your savior. The thing that you love most is the thing that you worship the most. So what is it today that your heart desires most? If you had to call it this morning, if you, had to just, if you had to just shout it out, we're not going to. What is it your heart desires most? Let's put it another way. Your deepest fear, the thing that you fear the most, the thing that you fear to lose the most is a thing that you worship. That's your king. What are you most afraid to lose? You most afraid that your kids won't be successful? Then you worship your children. And we do it all the time. Are you afraid that people won't respect you? Is that your deepest fear that people won't respect you? Then you worship status, and status is your king. Is one of your deepest fears that you won't have enough money? then comfort is your savior. Do you most fear that you won't be needed or you won't be liked? 
then you bow at the feet of other people's approval. See, the gospel reveals what you truly love. And we say to God, God, if you could just give me this, this desire of my heart, fill in the blank. And God looks lovingly back at you and says, you're gonna have to go a lot deeper than that. You're gonna have to go a lot deeper than that. Jesus is your true source of healing. And here's the third thing that the gospel, I, I think that we see in this story about the gospel and that is this, the gospel gives you exactly what you need. You know, uh, Jesus doesn't immediately heal this guy, does he? He doesn't immediately heal this guy. In fact, what he does is he goes right, right for the jugular instead. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And I love the way that he addresses this man. Son, a term of endearment, not hey dude, hey man, you son. There, there's this intimacy that Jesus immediately attaches to this relationship with this man. This, this beautiful father, son, child, parent, intimate relationship that Jesus has with compassion for this man. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the reason why the religious leaders in the crowd were so immediately stunned and said that he was blaspheming, he was insulting the name of God is because only God can forgive sins. Tim Keller in his book, Jesus the King, mentions this kind of, he's like, okay, this would be like this happening, right? If Hank goes and punches Billy in the face, okay? And then Steve comes up to Hank and says, hey, I forgive you for punching Billy. It's kind of ridiculous, right? Because the point is, you can't be the one who forgives unless you were the one who was offended. In this case, Steve wasn't the one that was, wasn't punched. He can't forgive. Only God can forgive sin because only God is the one that has been eternally offended by our sin. So Jesus isn't in this moment here claiming to be just a miracle worker. He's claiming to be the creator of the universe. And they know it. They know he's claiming it. And they go berserk. And then he asked this question and it was kind of fun to study this because I had never, you know, I read, sometimes you just read the Bible and you just kind of keep reading and, and you kind of just glaze over things. But Jesus asked this question, which is easier to say, he says to the religious leaders, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? What's he trying to communicate? Well, it's interesting because Jesus could have been communicating one of two things or both. It's a, it's a weird question, which is easier? He could have been saying, anybody can, can say that they forgive sins, right? Anybody can say that. But to prove to you that I have authority to do so, I'm going to heal this man. That could have been what he meant. Or maybe what he meant is any miracle worker and the Jewish, Jewish people had, had healers. They had exorcists that cast out demons. Jesus could have been saying, any miracle worker can, can heal someone. That's immediately verifiable. They're healed and you, everybody can see it. 
But forgiving sins is infinitely more difficult. And you have no idea the lengths that I'm willing to go to forgive yours. See, many of us come to God in a time of, of, of hurt and he invites us to. God, I need you to help me cope. God, I need you to tell me what to do here. God, I need you to take this away. God, I need you to provide this. And then when the moment passes after time, we just kind of disappear and God's not really on the radar for a season until the next catastrophe happens. You know, the biggest mystery for me, this side of heaven, is that Jesus Christ has the power to heal your body. Is that our Lord and Savior has the power to heal your addiction. Is that our heavenly dad has the power to heal your broken relationships and your broken heart. And why he chooses not to sometimes, I don't know. I don't know. but I know that our heavenly dad knows you better than you know yourself. And I love the way that the message version says this in Matthew chapter seven, verse nine, listen to this. Don't bargain with God, be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your child asks for bread, do you trick him with sawdust? If he asks for fish, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think that God who conceived you in love will be even better? He knows what you want before you ask, but he also knows that we're prone to want the quick fix. And our heavenly father, he knows you better than you know yourself. And I think what he's saying sometimes to us is like, Nathan, you know, you, your, your issues, all of your issues, your brokenness, your hurt, your pain, your disappointments, one day those will all be healed. Because when I come back and I remake and everything new, everything new will be remade, then every painful moment, every, every painful decision, every painful memory will come untrue. And I can't wait to do that for you. But I think we have a heavenly father who's looking at us lovingly, lovingly and saying, but let me tell you this is I have a mission. I have one deep desire for you and it's urgent because I have to meet this desire of your heart. I, we, this side of heaven, this side of eternity, it has to take place. There's only one shot at this. You see, we don't need a miracle worker in our lives. We don't need a genie in a bottle. We need somebody who can look into our hearts, lovingly, carefully, someone who knows us inside and out, past and future. Someone who can lovingly and, and, and gently and, and, and carefully peel back the layers of our hearts and penetrate through our sin and even into these deeply held desires that we have that are disordered. The truth is we need, we need to be forgiven. We need forgiveness. There's only one man who can do that for us and he did. 
willingly, joyfully, bleeding and dying for you and for me so that our discontented hearts could be healed forever. You know, Jesus didn't just reveal our deepest longing. He fulfilled it. And that's good news for everyone. And there's someone in your life, there's one person at least, one person who you need to go and share that with this week. I will tell you this, this week, every time you look in a mirror, every time you look in a mirror when you're getting ready for work or before you go to bed, when you're looking in the rear view mirror in the car, every time you look in a mirror this week, starting today, ask God this, God, would you reorder my loves? so that I can experience your true healing in my life. Pray with me. Father, I'm humbled before your throne knowing that you know me better than I know myself. That you can look inside every man and woman, every, every teenager, every kid here in this room and you know what we desperately need. And I thank you for fulfilling it. May it drive our faith and our boldness to step into you, even in our pain, even our discomfort, even in our doubts, even in our questions. God, that you receive us and that you welcome us and you walk with us because your gospel is so good. And pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.